All right. Welcome back, everybody. I think if there's anything that the pandemic and Zoom Church has taught me and helped me see is the sacred in the ordinary. Um, it's not often we have kids running around and kids participating in prayers, but one thing that I've actually really enjoyed about this is having people around and having kids around. It doesn't have to be like quiet and solemn. Um, I, I really appreciate the sacredness of, of the ordinary of being in our homes and being with our families. So uh, today we continue in our study of John 13 to 17, um, specifically John 16 today, um, which is actually a little bit scattered throughout. So as we were going through, we were looking at how to best break this up. And while we'll be using a text from John 16, um, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit, which is actually scattered throughout everything, um, but specifically focusing on this text. Um, so if you will look at my screen here, we will read this together. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what I will make known to you. John 16, seven through 15. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, sometimes John feels like a, a Beatles song of like, I am me and you are me and we are he and we are all together. And sometimes when I'm reading John, it feels like I have to parse through everything that he's talking about. Uh, but it was, it was around this time last year that we were starting to prepare for the birth of Charlie. Not this time last year, a year and a half ago, starting to prepare for the birth of Charlie. We began to have conversations we got a doula to get an idea of what was going to happen. And by happen, I mean, what Kate was going to have to go through. I didn't have to do anything. Uh, so we started to plan and prepare. We got her room ready. We got a crib. We got a chair. We hung some pictures. We got a nice plush rug in there. We bought our reusable diapers. We did everything we could to do our best to prepare. But as many of you know, there is really nothing you can do that will actually prepare you for everything that childbirth entails. You can read all the books, hear all the stories, even watch videos if you're into that kind of thing about watching birth videos. But nothing can prepare you for what it's going to be like to actually go through this. And again, as a bystander, I am actually not really doing anything and I am not going to go through anything myself. And I still felt unprepared, like doctors and nurses coming in and like, couldn't you do something to make this better? Why is there so much blood? Wait, what is, what's going to happen again? Can you explain that to me? See, 
this is what happens when I try to tell a story that's not a running story and you're now subjected to a birth story. Um, but trying to prepare for something that we've never gone through is actually really hard. You might be able to have some kind of knowledge about it, of what you might go through, but you haven't experienced it. And to know about something and to experience something are two very different things. And it's hard to be prepared for the unknown. And I think one of the things that's happening in this chunk of chapters is that Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for something they've never been through, his departure. And as John does, he is slowing us down and he takes nearly half of his gospel to focus on Holy Week and this final thing that is happening. And throughout this section, we see a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. It's 15 times and Jesus is preparing them for his disciples. 15 times that he is saying, I am leaving or I am going away, but the Spirit is going to come. And it's 26 times that he refers to the Holy Spirit. Like I said, it's scattered throughout, but those few verses that we focused on, that's what's happening in there. And so what's happening is here is this, what we're seeing throughout of, I have been with you. The spirit will be with you. I am teaching you. The spirit will teach. The spirit will testify. You will testify. I go away. The spirit will come. All of this is happening throughout the text. And Jesus is preparing them for what is going to happen. And as they go throughout this, this one verse that we looked at today, one of these verses, this is Eugene Peterson, condensed into a single Jesus sentence. The conversation is this. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is Eugene Peterson and John, but he's saying of this whole conversation of John 14 to John 17, if we condense it into a single sentence, it's this, that Jesus is going away. And it's actually to the advantage of everyone for Jesus to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. And this is what we see. We see a lot of talk 26 times about the Holy Spirit throughout this whole thing. And we have these verses where John is writing and trying to convey the urgency and the imminency of what Jesus is talking about and how everything is happening throughout this. And so Jesus's departure and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, these are intimately connected as he's trying to, again, prepare his disciples for something they've never been through. And this is what another thing that's happening in the tenor of this conversation. And so specifically at this verse, the going and the leaving, it's this paradigm of I am leaving Jesus saying, I am leaving, but I am actually sending you out or I am leaving, but I am sending the Holy spirit. And so what is a question often, especially if we look back at this, we might think, how, how is it to our advantage that Jesus is to go away, especially for the disciples? Why is that an advantage? Some would say that there's a, a practical sort of answers that Jesus in a physical body couldn't be omnipresent with everyone. We could get deep, deep into some Christological and Trinitarian theological wormholes here, but let's just say for the sake of argument and right now that Jesus in a physical body couldn't be omnipresent. And so the benefit of Jesus leaving is out, is leaving the physical presence, but so that the Holy Spirit can come and be present with us. 
This is again, how Eugene Peterson says it. He says the Holy spirit will be in them doing in them what Jesus did among them. That's key. The Holy spirit, God's way of being present with us will make their life and work continuous with Jesus's life and work. The way God was present to them in Jesus, God will be present to them in others. To try and to tie some of this together, what we have is we look back into John 15 of this abiding in Christ and the work of spiritual formation. This is a quote that we used last week of spiritual formation is the spirit driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in, in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. So this is spiritual formation. And this is the work of the spirit to further form Christ in us doing in us what Jesus was doing among everyone while he was here. But there are a few other things that this passage gives us about the work of the spirit and the importance of going away. And, and first, before we get into that, it's important to understand that there was actually great anticipation for this moment and what Jesus is explaining about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This text from Joel 2 is a commonly read text whoops, going backwards, is a commonly read text. And this is actually the text that Peter uses at Pentecost as well. As well. And this is what he says. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So looking back for this is in, I want to say 1400 or eight or 900 BC. So almost a thousand years that they are anticipating the coming of the spirit. And we can see the promise and the hope of the spirit coming that God would pour out the spirit on all people. And God is no longer reserved for only the Jews or the rituals in the temple or specifically a national belonging, but rather God is pouring out his spirit upon all people. And again, this is what Peter refers back to at Pentecost, which I would contend part of what Jesus is saying right now is, is a teaser for Pentecost. And after Jesus dies and is raised and then ascends, we have Pentecost. And Jesus is saying, this is going to be the time that the spirit has, is coming. There's been a long awaited anticipation for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was certainly around and active in the Old Testament, but anytime we see an empowerment in the Old Testament, it's oftentimes a temporary thing. It's a temporary indwelling. But now that is all going to change, that the Spirit will come and live permanently within followers of Jesus. And so in John 14 and 15, Jesus is telling them that he is now the way, the truth, and the life. It's no longer a religious system or a national identity that brings belonging. And then in John 15, it's he is the vine that we attach our lives to this vine. Again, it's no longer a priest or a temple. It's the person of Jesus. And now in, in John 16, we're starting to understand how the outworking of this is going to happen. And it's going to happen through the sending of the Holy Spirit. 
So there are a, f- a few more things that the work of the spirit does. And this is what we see in, in verse eight. In verse eight, Jesus says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And so we have these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the first of these is sin. So specific to sin, when the Holy Spirit comes, what it says is he will prove the world wrong because people did not believe in Jesus. So I want you to think about this, not only in regards to to Pentecost, but also to right now. So so two applications. The first is that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and, and Peter is explaining at that time that they have rejected Jesus. They're explaining how Jesus was killed and the Jews have killed him. They did not believe in Jesus or who he was. So as the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, there's validation for the person and the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit as it comes at Pentecost, it will prove them wrong for their sin because they did not rightly believe in Jesus. And so this is the first part. The second application is, is this broader application is the work of the Holy Spirit and the illumination and, and the helping us to understand our sin. The Spirit helps us to understand how we view God wrongly, how we view Jesus wrongly. And so this is the first thing that the Holy Spirit comes to help us about our sin The second is righteousness, that the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father where we can see him no longer, which makes plenty of sense, right? Thank you for making this one clear for us, Jesus. The first thing that is happening is the understanding of what a righteous life is, okay? So especially as the Jews would have thought of it, they thought the righteous life was to keep the law. And how the world, the Jews and the Gentiles have thought about righteousness. This is now going to change. Righteousness is now happening in in two ways. Okay. The first is that the righteousness of Jesus is being imputed to us, meaning that we are now found righteous because of Jesus. And the second is the example of Jesus's righteousness. And when I say righteousness, I want you to think about living rightly and justly. This is the way that we are to live now, the way that we are to follow Jesus. Even though we can't see Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the way by which we live a righteous life, living rightly and living justly in the world. And is also how the righteousness of Jesus is applied to us. Again, the Holy Spirit, more working of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a sign and the seal of the Christian. So it's the righteousness of imputing Christ's righteousness, but also helping us to live righteously, to pursue justice and to live rightly and ordered in the world. And so that's righteousness. This last one is that the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. Satan has claimed this world to be its rightful owner, but in the cross, Christ now sets things right. Again, righteousness of Christ is at work to bring order and righteousness and justice in the midst of a world claimed by Satan. But notice this judgment is of the prince of the world. It's it's not an end of the life or like a cosmic eschatological judgment. This is a judgment that has actually already happened. Jesus predicts this back in John 12, 32, and he says, now the prince of the world will be driven out. 
And at the death of Jesus, what we now have as that the wrong in the world is in the process of being made right. And ultimately, Satan has been driven out. And the Holy Spirit now works for the righteousness of the world in this. He is working to make things right in the world. And as a result, the prince of this world has been driven out and has been judged because he, unlike Christ, is not right or good or just. And so these three things are, are a mixture of things that are currently happening, that have already happening, that have been fulfilled at the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more on Ascension Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. But they're now currently unfolding as well. There are things that haven't happened, like the world being made right and the final and total judgment of Satan. The one final work of the Holy Spirit that we see of Ascension comes in verses 14 and 15. And this is what he says. He will glorify me. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what I will make known to you. And so another work and function of the Holy Spirit is simply to bring glory and honor and praise to Jesus. This is how the Trinity works. This passage is rich and filled with images of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how they work in conjunction with one another. They're in perfect unity and perfect harmony with one another. They work to glorify each other. So ultimately, why does all of this matter? Is this a lesson on the Trinity and some confusing biblical promises and fulfillments that have already happened, but will also happen? Is this completely just detached from the lives that we live in the reality of the world around us? I, I hope not. The work of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with God, the Father, and Jesus is that of bringing about righteousness and justice in our world, of ridding us and the world of sin and brokenness, of identifying sin and naming how it distorts our view of Jesus and God. The way that Jesus moved and worked in the world will be how the Spirit moves and works in us. This is how Jesus can say, you will go on to do even greater things than me. This isn't some kind of like one upping contest with Jesus, but he knows that his work and the power that he has will now reside within us and within his disciples as he's talking to them. Jesus's life and his power is no longer something they can only follow, but actually something they can embody themselves. And so the Holy Spirit is in you doing incredible work with enormous power. We often forget about the Holy Spirit. There's a book by a guy named Francis Chan called The Forgotten God that's about the Holy Spirit because of the Trinity, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit, his work and power, he's leading and guiding our lives. He's an advocate. This word that we have here in Holy Spirit, it's only used five times in the New Testament. And all of them are unique to John. And four of them are here in John of the Holy Spirit being a guide or an advocate or a comforter. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
when we talk about spiritual formation of that we may be further formed in the likeness of Christ, that the, the inside, the internal world of Christ is what is going to be formed in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's through participation in this work. We cannot drive these things ourselves. Think back to John 15, abide in me. Abiding requires no work, but abiding in Jesus is in conjunction with the Holy Spirit as we abide with God. And so the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you and at work inside of me. And the power and the impressive and radical life that Jesus lived on the earth, that indwells us. And so we can radically go out into our world and to our neighbors. We can proclaim truth about who Jesus is and about who God is. We go out and we see where there is wrong and injustice and we do our best to work to make it right. We bring order into the chaos. We know that this, the prince of this world has been driven out. And while the world groans and longs and while we groan and long, for things to be made right. Or as the Jesus storybook Bible says that all the sad things are coming untrue. As we wait in that tension, the spirit helps us and guides us and advocates for us. Where we don't have the words to say, the spirit intercedes for us. And the power of Jesus and the death, the resurrection, that is now in us. And it's a, a beautiful thing. It's the way that we go about making the ordinary sacred because the Holy Spirit dwells within us.